by God's plan and providence, he wanted each one of us here this morning for such a time as this. <clears throat> for the songs of worship that just prepared our hearts, and now for the scripture that we hope will transform our hearts, giving us a greater understanding of our God so we can trust him more, love him better, and serve him faithfully in the week ahead. We're in the book of James in our series. So we're going to get to James chapter 2 this morning. If you want to find that in your Bible, James is near the very back of the Bible. It's a, a smaller letter written by a man named James. And what we're going to see this morning, as we'll see throughout this book, the book of James is so practical that it's not just dealing with this heady theological doctrinal truth, which we'll find always in the Word of God, but he's really a down-to-earth writer saying, hey folks, I know we live in a real world, real people, real problems. Here's the real way to live life for God. It's going to be very practical. We'll see that this morning. And very relevant. When you see the topic this morning that we're going to find in the Bible that was written 2,000 years ago, you're going to say, no way. That couldn't have been 2,000 years ago. That sounds like our day, our generation. Well, some things never change in human nature. We're going to see how the Bible is timeless truth. It applies to every generation, every century, every millennium of human history. And it's so helpful to know that's the word God has for our real relevant life this morning. The title of the message, Let Go. Let Go. Now I'm going to read chapter 2 of James, the first 10 verses. If you're there in your Bible, you can follow along. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby, shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Let go. It's a sad reality that prejudice and bias shows up in so many aspects of, of social life, isn't it? In politics, in the business world, in the criminal justice system even, and even in the sports world. So often people are judged basically on purely superficial criteria. People who look different or talk differently than us are looked down upon or viewed with suspicion or just 
ignored, avoided. We can tend to create in our minds these personal stereotypes of people groups, and then we judge everybody based on those generalizations, and we may treat them with unfair, unkind words and actions. That's so wrong. But would that ever, that kind of prejudice, ever show up in the Church of Jesus Christ? Well, our passage seems to indicate that it's possible. It can happen. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but the books of the Bible are not placed in chronological order. That is, in the order they were written. Scholars actually believe James is the first of the New Testament books to be written. Written as early as 45 A.D., which would only be about 10 or 12 years after Jesus ascends to heaven and the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. So just 10 or 12 years after the church's birth, James is addressing an issue that either has shown up or he senses it has the potential to. He's addressing the issue of prejudice in the early church. Let go. You'll notice the first thing in verse 1. Who is James addressing? Who does he, who does he say he's, he's calling out and writing to? The very first words of verse 1. My brothers. Brothers and sisters or brethren in the family of God. So these are his Christian brothers and sisters. Notice in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. These are Christian friends, brothers and sisters of the Lord. He knows them. He loves them. He's not writing meanly to judge them. Out of love for them, James is saying, guys, I love you, but you got to let go. we got to talk about this in the church. And so he will address for Christians like us the possibility of letting a prejudicial heart develop. We cannot. James says you need to let go. You'll notice that verse 1. What is he, how does he admonish the church? He says, my brothers, show no partiality, or we could translate that bias, or prejudice, or discrimination. No, as you hold, and you might want to highlight or underline that word hold, hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So James is saying, if you hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if they're brothers and sisters professing Christians, that's exactly what they do. That's what makes us believers. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If you hold that faith, then you can't hold on to partiality or prejudice in the same hand. You've got to let go. Something's got to give. You've got to let go of your faith, Stop calling yourself a Christian because you are denying what Jesus Christ stands for. If you have a prejudicial heart, you don't have real faith in Jesus. Better yet, don't let go of your faith. Just let go of that prejudice. Let go of that narrow-minded, stereotypical approach to some people. Let go of prejudice and hold on to faith in the Lord of glory. Jesus, what makes him the Lord of glory? What makes him so glorious? You could translate it glorious Lord. What makes him so glorious? His grace. 
He's got this huge heart for everybody. This indiscriminate, unconditional love for whoever would come to him as a needy sinner. He's, they're welcome. And Jesus will turn no one away. The Lord of glory. Now I hold the hand of my wife. Yesterday we walked on the beach, the Atlantic Ocean. We were visiting some friends. And we walked hand in hand with that romantic grip of, of uh, lovers, right? I do that with my wife. I do that with no other woman. I might shake hands with you ladies. might give you a nice side friendly hug. I might high five women, but I will not romantically hold hands with only one. And likewise, married people, we warmly embrace our spouse, but we will warmly embrace no other lover, lest we be guilty of, of, of adultery. James is saying, let go. Don't let go of your faith in Jesus. Let go of that which contradicts the Lord of glory. Any prejudicial partiality. Now, how does that show up in church? It hasn't in our church. Praise God. We're small enough. We, can, we have a good sense of the pulse of our church. But as we grow bigger, as the Lord gives us more and more people of, of different backgrounds, and we want to always be a multicultural church, an international church, we want to be a church for, for every group of people in the Sarasota area. As we grow bigger, there could be a tendency to, to break into our cliques of our favorite, our kind of people over here, and, and those kind of people are over there. How, how does that sometimes manifest in a church? Is it always based on skin color? Is prejudice, prejudice only a, a racialist issue? Not necessarily. Or is it always just because of a different language? You come from a different country or different ethnic group. So you obviously stand out as different. So, you know, you're not one of mine. Maybe fit in better over there with one of your own people. Is that right? No, that's not always the case. What do we find here in James 2? It, it was based on such a simple matter as your economic status in society. The haves and the have-nots. And here's the scenario that James paints. Notice it's a hypothetical because he says if. So we're not sure that that actually was going on, but James says hypothetically, if this were to ever happen, here's what God thinks about it. Here's what you ought to think about it. If a rich man comes into your church and, oh, he's dressed so nice. He's got the Armani suit. He's got the, the bling. Oh, wow. He's got alligator shoes. Well, I think that was his Jaguar out there in the parking lot. Oh, so glad to have you, sir. Why don't you sit right here, right up front? Our special seat is for you. And then in comes this guy who, you know, we could kind of smell him coming. He doesn't look so good. He's shabby, a little dirty, rough. Uh, well, we're glad you're here at Living Hope, kind of. Uh, why don't you just kind of stay over here, huh? Tell the poor man to stand over here or, or maybe sit at my feet, but I don't want you to get our nice chairs dirty with your grubby looking clothes. I don't want you to sit down. Don't sit down by that nice gentleman because, whoa, we're glad he's at our church. He could be a doctor, a lawyer, a real big wig in our community. We want him in our church. Would that increase our church status and maybe our church offerings? Oh yeah, we want him. James says, there's something wrong with that. Desperately wrong. He said, you are now becoming 
Uh, notice Judges, verse 4. You're making distinctions among yourselves, and that's all right. Distinctions aren't bad in themselves. We have a restroom for those who are male and a restroom for those who are female. There's a distinction. There's a distinction when voting day comes. If you're a Republican, you vote in this primary. If you're a Democrat, you vote in this primary. There's distinctions on where you can park. If you have a, a certain handicap label, you can park in the disabled spot. Distinctions are a part of life, but distinctions with evil motives, he says. Your heart is driving these distinctions. You are judges with evil thoughts. And I, again, what do you think the evil intention or motive is? Hey, we can get more out of the rich guy than the poor guy. Hey, the rich guy can benefit us more than the poor guy. And now it's reverse love. Love looks to give sacrificially. And isn't that what the Lord of glory Jesus is all about? Giving, loving others, giving yourself to invest in others. The moment we turn that around and say, well, what am I getting out of this person? What am I getting out of the church? What am I getting out of this friendship? What am I getting out of this marriage? I don't think I'm getting as much as I'm giving. We have now turned love, and it's a self-love that is selfish. James says, no, no, no. Dear brethren, you cannot do this when you assemble in the name of Jesus. Little sidelight. This really struck me this week. You'll notice uh, James is talking about their assembly life in verse 2. Assembly, that's interesting because back in the very opening verse of the book, we found out who James is writing to. Chapter 1, verse 1. He's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Did you notice that? Notice in your Bible, clear it. The dispersion, you know what that means? They were spread out. They were spread out by persecution. And James knows them, and he must have known where they were running and hiding to. And he wrote this epistle to encourage those persecuted Jewish believers. They're now Christians, but they were Jewish Christians. They're still assembling. Wherever they are, maybe they're doing secretly because they're being persecuted, they still know the importance of assembling together. Even if we're a persecuted church, there's no excuse to stop being a faithful part of the assembly life. It's that important. He's saying, keep assembling, even though you're running for your life. And when you do, make sure you are not showing partiality. Now, in the following verses, James says, here's what's wrong with it. What's so wrong with prejudice? What's so wrong with being a little biased? You know, you tend to like the people who are like you more than you tend to like people who are strange to you or different. What's wrong with that kind of heart attitude? Two reasons James gives us, and you'll notice he gives them in the form of questions. This is a valuable tip in communication for our relationship. Questions are more powerful and penetrating than accusations. You make a charge against someone and we tend to put up the defense mechanism, right? Well, I know I am, but you are too. Or you started it, or I wouldn't have done it if you... And up goes the defense and then you got a debate and argument. A, a question keeps the defense mechanism down. And a question isn't a charge. It gets a person thinking and then perhaps even feeling conviction of the Holy Spirit without you having to wag a finger and say, guilty as charged. So James models that for us. And he, he just asks these questions like, like this. Uh, 
Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Question number one highlights a, a theological reason why prejudice is wrong. He says, God chooses in love to save poor people, to bring poor people into his kingdom. Now that's not to say only poor people. It's not to say all poor, all poor people are saved, all poor people are guaranteed heaven, and only poor people are going to heaven. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying if you look at the demographics of the first century church, and it might even be true in the 21st century church, especially outside of America, most of the world, third world countries, most believers in Jesus Christ are not the haves, but a lot of have-nots. A lot of the poor people Jesus showed in Luke 16, the parable of Lazarus, the, the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man didn't have the time or heart for God. The poor beggar Lazarus, that's all he had in life. And he ended up with the Lord in paradise. While the rich man, loving his riches to the end, went into eternity without God. Jesus chose, or God chose, Mary and Joseph, a poor poor couple to be the parents, the mother and the stepfather of the Messiah when he came into the human reigns. Jesus called poor fishermen to be his, be his disciples. He called poor lepers and uh, uh, prostitutes and outcasts and Gentiles. And he had a heart for the poor, the oppressed, the needy. So here's James' question. If your God is that way, why would you not be that way? If your God chooses to love the poor, why would you dishonor the poor man, James says, and treat them like they're second class? You're not in line with your God. Reason number two is not even a God reason. It's more logical than theological. You don't even have to be a Christian to, to understand James' logic here when he says in verse number uh, six, are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? In other words, who tends to be your biggest opponents in life and ministry? Church, who, who's persecuting you the most? Who's hunting you down and who is mocking you and blaspheming the name of your Lord? Who's giving you the greatest grief in life? It's the very ones you're cozying up to and want to welcome with royalty. While the people who can sympathize with you and know what it's like to be downtrodden and, and poor and oppressed, those are the ones that you're pushing to the side. That's not logical. It doesn't make sense. It'd be like illustration. I come up to Mark. I would say, Mark, man, I'm sorry to bother you, but, but I ran out of gas. I coasted in the parking lot this morning. I'm out of gas. Could you help me? Maybe run me down to the gas station. I'll pick up the gas can, get some gas, bring it back. And uh, I'd really appreciate that if you could do that. And Mark says, you ran out of gas? How stupid is that? What were you thinking? What is wrong with you? Help you get gas? No, I'm not going down to the gas station. I gotta get home for lunch. I don't want a smelly gas can in my nice car. 
you're on your own. And by the way, I notice your uh, your registration tag is is expired. I'm going to call the police, and I I'm going to have your car towed if you don't get that license tag updated real quick. Okay, Mark. Sorry to bother you. Hey, John. I'm sorry to bother you. I did a dumb thing this morning. I ran out of gas this morning. Would you be able to help me? down to the gas station. John says, no problem, man. Let's go. I'll get you lunch on the way. Hey, I'll buy the gas can. I'll, I, Yeah, I'll take care of you. He zips me down there in bag. Thanks, John. You've been such a blessing. Okay, qu question, church. Who should I invite to my birthday party? Huh? <laughs> Who's going to be number one on my invite list? <coughs> Let's see. Oh, that Mark. He's... Uh, you know, just on a human level, without even talking about the love of Christ, logically, wouldn't you want to be nice to the people who understand you, who care for you? I mean, be nice to all. Jesus said, even love your enemies. So I will invite Mark to my party, too, with John. But it just goes to, to, to logic that you would, if you're going to show favoritism to anyone, it would be to the people who understand you, sympathize with you, are nice to you, and take care of you in your time of need. So folks, there's no room for prejudice in Jesus' church. <clears throat> Let go of it. And I'll close with the third reason, the biggest reason. I think uh, far beyond the, beyond the logical or even that theological reason is what James said in the opening verse, and why don't you take this as your memory verse for the week. Take a verse every Sunday when you hear a sermon. Take one verse and let that verse be your focus verse for the week. Memorize it, meditate on it. It'll just bring back the whole sermon. So when Josh started this series, that first verse would be, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And that opened the book. And then the next message of chapter one, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That would be the memory verse for that week. This week, let's make our memory verse, verse 1. My brother, show no partiality if you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Whose faith are we holding? Faith in whom? The Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Lord. To show prejudice in the church of Jesus Christ is sinning because according to verse 9, we're breaking the royal law. And what's the royal law? It's quoted right out of Deuteronomy. Love your neighbor as yourself. And James also heard Jesus quote that in his ministry as he quoted the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as you would want them to love you, as you love yourself. You don't do that in prejudice. You're breaking the law of the king, the royal law. But what's worse than breaking the law of the king is breaking the heart of the king. And that's what we do. When we love with discrimination and partiality, we are misrepresenting the king, contradicting his heart of love. And the Lord of glory does not look so glorious to a world that comes into a church and sees the same kind of bias and prejudice that is all too rampant out in that lost world. Our glorious Lord loves the whole world, John 3:16. Our glorious Lord Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, according to 1 John 2, 2. Our glorious Lord in his earthly ministry received sinners of all sorts, the young and the old, Jew and Gentile, the rich and the poor, successful and the down and outers, the religious and some immoral people, 
the widows, the lepers, the rejects of society. He opened his arms and welcomed them all. And our glorious Lord Jesus has commanded us, church, to go to all nations and preach the gospel to all peoples, not picking out the best, the ones that we like, the ones who are like us, all peoples, all nations. And one day, according to Revelation 5, 9, our glorious Lord Jesus will we be worshiped at his throne for all eternity by redeemed people from every tribe and language and tongue and people group and nation. It will be a most diverse population worshiping Jesus forever. And I'm hoping every one of you will be one of those redeemed around the throne worshiping Jesus because you have in this life come to know him as your personal savior. Your faith is in him and what he did for you at the cross. If you haven't, then the good news, my friend, is whatever your people group, whatever your language group, whatever your background or your status or lack thereof in society, whatever others think of you, doesn't matter. You just come on to Jesus and he, you'll find his open arms and you'll hear his words saying, come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is none other. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, no matter who you are or what others think of you. So I hope you who are visiting and you who are our regulars know and find Living Hope Church to be a church that loves...